Welcome to Artists of New England. This is a podcast created to inspire you on your journey of artistic expression. Whether you are a career artist, a teacher, an emerging artist, or hobbyist, you can learn and gain support from your peers. We will explore the symbiotic relationship between these groups, lending insight and empathy towards each other. We will discover the where, when, why, and how of the creative process of artists living and working in New England, with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Good morning and welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Castanari-King. Today, I'm delighted to have Arnie Casavant, Casavant, we have all these different pronunciations, from Quincy, Mass. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, This is a thrill. I'm honored to... uh, join some of the uh, very accomplished artists that you've interviewed in the past that I've researched. So I feel very fortunate. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm delighted and excited to hear all about your journey. I already catch a little lovely little accent. So did you grow up in Boston or where have you grown up? No, that accent, I'm not sure exactly what it is that people hear. I don't hear myself, but I grew up in Rhode Island. Okay. And the Rhode Island accent tends to be different than Boston accent. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I know. And then I spent uh, 20 years in the Midwest and started putting my R's in everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I found myself, as I traveled around, I started to adapt some of the local, you know, speech. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just too, too easy to do. So tell us um, a little bit about, um, you know, where you grew up as a child. And I always love to hear people's earliest recollections of anything artistic that you remember doing. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this one before. <laughs> oh, boy. I grew up in Chippewa, Rhode Island, uh, okay. the third floor of a cold water flat, a blue collar kid. Uh, and I didn't take any art until I was 25 years old. Okay. Wow. Uh, what I do remember is an art teacher would come around in elementary school mm-hmm. and with colored paper and scissors, and we might make the turkey for Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> and I do remember the paste that she put on our little piece of paper was a sugar-based paste, mm-hmm. and it tasted, tasted <laughs> a little good. <laughs> so that was the extent of my artistic experience. All the way through high school, I, I never took art until I was 25 years old. Wow. And did you find yourself exposed to or drawn to anything? Uh, do you have any remembrances of, you know, seeing anything that looked beautiful, art, like beautiful art to you? In any way? Good question. Galleries didn't exist, hmm. at least where I grew up. I didn't see any art whatsoever. Right. But a funny thing is, I always remember the sunlight coming in the side windows of our cold water flat into the living dining room. It was a combination. This was, you know, a small place, six children, two parents, and two bedroom. But for some reason, that sunlight always captured my attention. Yeah. And to this day, I use that little saying that light is the bringer of beauty. Right. Uh, because that's what I try to paint. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking at the sunlight, yeah. uh, cast shadows. I, I just love them. Uh, so that's my only rec- recollection of anything artistic for some reason, seeing the sunlight come in. 
and the dance of light, which I like to refer to it as. So that's what I try to incorporate in my paintings now. Yeah, that's, that is very interesting. Um, I, I too, it's like the highlight of the day as the sun comes through the windows in the morning and in the evening. It's just, I, I just stop, I take pictures. <laughs> yes, and we, we've moved around a lot. We've only been in Marina Bay now for one year. We, were, we moved around Boston area quite a bit. We've moved about 18 times in our 48 years together. Mm -hmm. uh, but every place we move to, it's really important that we have that sunlight. Yes. Sunrise, sunset, here in this condo now, we get it all day long. And I visit some friends. Our son lives in an apartment with his wife. They have shades pulled down and curtains closed and never the sunlight shall enter. We don't mention anything, you know? We drive home and we think, how can I live in such darkness? As I drive around and I see beautiful homes, there's one down on Quincy Shore Drive along the ocean here. They have a fantastic view of the Boston skyline in the distance and the ocean, and every window is covered all the time. Yeah. I can't imagine. And for us, everything is up. You know, know. you can see it if you want, but yeah. light is so important. <clears throat> it, it brightens our day. It starts our day off that way. And when we have too many gray days, as you know, in the wintertime, it has a tendency to be less inspiring. Yeah, and I think as I was scrolling through your Instagram this morning, you named one of your paintings, The Sun Will Come Up. Is that right? Did I, was that you? <laughs> Maybe it was someone else. Yeah. I thought it was yeah, one of your You know, From the Sun Will Come Up Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And the I painting mean, behind me, if you, you can see this painting a little bit, yes. uh, this is a typical sunrise in Boston Harbor. As I was riding my bike one morning, and it was just peeking up over the horizon and had so much color, and I jumped all over it. Uh, I just want it. Is that one called? That screamed, that, that screamed to be painted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, the sun is just uh, such a beautiful gift. If you look up here, mm. right here, mm -hmm. this is a wet painting of under Route 93 North out of Boston. Yeah. And you can see the sunlight leading yeah. into the composition. And as it trickles down through this space up here and touches the girder right here, the support, and it dances all the way down to the ground. Stunning. I went out there and took some pictures with Kathy two Sundays ago. Yeah. And the sun wasn't out. And it just wasn't inspiring because I love that location. Uh -huh. I went out this Sunday and came home with some photographs with the sun. A little late in the day for me, but it was trickling down. And mm -hmm. I showed Kathy and said, see what a difference the sun makes i mean it just brings life to anything yeah yeah it's it's it is quite amazing it's our daily gift almost every yeah. day <laughs> yeah 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 i will say i lived in ohio and uh, it was just so dark and gloomy and i i started doing some research and they do have more overcast days than almost anywhere else in, in the ohio valley where i was yeah and i thought it was all in my head you know and i'm like <laughs> yeah. no it was true <laughs> Makes yeah. a big difference. Um, so, so at 25, what did you discover and what did you start dabbling in? I went in the military from 1967 to 71. And uh, when I left the military, I met Kathy and had no workable skills, had no idea what I was gonna do for the rest of my life. So on the GI Bill, I uh, enrolled at a junior college. And, and this is, an interesting thing where just four words can transform a life forever. Yeah. 
-hmm. So in that art class, the assignment was to draw negative space, to draw our hands using negative space, yeah. which I did. And the instructor came by and he said, have you ever drawn before? The tone of that question yeah. suggested to me that I had something. Right. Truth. I went home that afternoon. Kathy got home from work. And I said, Kathy, I'm going to be an art major. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The second half of that year, I took four art classes, got a portfolio together, yeah. transferred to UMass. They accepted me as an art education major. Wow. That led to me teaching for 30 years, wow. which led to me sitting before this computer right now, speaking to you, which <laughs> I would have never imagined at age 20, 21, 22, 24. But it shows the power that a teacher, an instructor can have, a good one. You've had really good ones, I'm sure. Yeah. You've had some that were fabulous artists and maybe not the best communicators, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you want your money back from that workshop. Uh, but the power of that person and the tone in his words changed my life forever. Wow. Just those words. And as a teacher for 30 years in high school, yeah. I always remembered that, yeah. you know. So. so that was that was your superpower as a teacher, I'm sure. <laughs> well, a, a, a few good words here and there. Yeah. It was great. It was a great profession. Oh, I love that. So um, what kinds of mediums did you prefer back in your 20s when you were studying? In my 20s? Yeah, when you were studying. In my studies? Mm -hmm. Actually, when I went to college, I, I was a uh, ceramist, uh, potter. Wow. Uh, enjoyed that enormously, you know, the physicality of it. Yeah. Uh, so that was my major concentration in the art education field. Okay. And I thought and, and envisioned that someday I would get into a high school program as a teacher, a large one that would have the facilities so I could continue teaching ceramics. As it turned out, unfortunately, I got into a smaller high school where I was the only art teacher with one potter's wheel. Mm. So my teaching in pottery consisted of hand-built pottery and a wheel-thrown demonstration. And if anyone wants to try this, go ahead. Uh, so I, I did a little bit of everything throughout my high school teaching. Okay. Uh, if there is a common thread I found in art educators is that the art making process takes a back seat to teaching. Yes. Parenting. We don't have time to be art making. And I taught through Northeastern University for about seven years in the summer and my students were art educators. And it was an intensive one-week workshop on the Cape where we lived together. We painted all day long. And the common thread was they hadn't produced any art for years. And this immersion was so great for them, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, I did meet one teacher who was very influential in my development as a painter later on in life. Walt Bartman out of the Yellow Barn in Glen, Oak, Glen Echo, Maryland. Uh, the Yellow Bomb is, Bond is a facility which has a lot of different art teachers and an enormous array of classes. And Walt Bartman was an art educator, just like me, about the same age. He was a fabulous painter. 
He painted throughout his teaching career, which is unusual. Mm -hmm. He was a great historian and a passionate teacher. So he really influenced me. But he's one of the few that I found could sustain the art making process when uh, teaching tends to uh, zap the creativity from within. You know, mm -hmm. and then when you have children, they require a certain amount of attention. So for some reason, he was he was able to balance all of that. You know. Wow. Wow. So so at what point? Because I did read, I believe, in your bio that your focus has been on painting more recently. So when did that? I mean, so he he encouraged you. I think you said he was a strong influence. Yeah, I met him around two thousand and eight, and I'll I'll tell you that story. Okay. When I saw retirement on the horizon. Mm -hmm. uh, I retired 15 years ago and at age 57. My wife was very busy with her career and our son reached an age where he was going to be independent and I was living on the cul-de-sac thinking what am I going to do now? <laughs> so I thought this is the time to turn to art making. So I took a couple of art workshops the last couple of years that I was teaching. They were painting workshops. Mm -hmm. So I would paint infrequently you know, pull the paints out, put it on a dining room table, paint once a month, you know. And then in 2008, I met Walt Bartman. Uh, we were living in Washington, D.C., and he was very influential. But at the time, when I painted on the kitchen table with traditional oil paints, the first comment would be, what's that smell <laughs> from my wife? Yeah. yeah. So I was introduced must be 20 years ago, to water mixable oils. Yeah. Uh, and not everyone embraces water mixable oils, and I totally understand that. It's something that I've stuck with. I've tried traditional several times to be like the big boys and the big girls. <laughs> but water mixable oils always work for me. I can go to the sink, put dishwashing liquid in the sink, clean the brushes. There is no odor whatsoever. Right. If I get it in my clothes, it just washes out with water. Uh, you know, when we talk about toxins and, and pollutants, uh, I feel very safe with water mixable oils. Can I ask so, what brand you use? What brand are you using? Well, I find Holbein Duo, D-U-O, uh, really the best. Uh, there are a couple of others that don't come to mind right now, okay. uh, Gamblin. But the consistency from color to color in Holbein is consistent. In other words, you get a more liquidy flow, yeah. whether it be burnt umber, yellow, ultramarine blue, it's consistent. Mm -hmm. Some of the less expensive, uh, Windsor Newton, that yeah. you buy at Michael's Arts and Crafts, yeah. they're less expensive, but you can find one color that flows nicely and another color where you almost have to stand on a tube to get it to squeeze out, you know? Yeah, so I'm glad you're saying this because I've been trying to make the switch because I, you know, oh. for health reasons and all that, I think it's best. Yeah. But I only wanted to explore them to see and, and just what you're saying, you know, I realize now I just have to make the investment to explore them and understand how they can really work with a good quality because those, right. those ones from right. Michael's, you're, you're speaking. Yeah, it, it's a few more dollars. You know, I wish I lived closer to you because, you know, I talked to you more about that and we could mm -hmm. paint together. Um, the traditional oil painters uh, criticism I found is that tend to be a little sticky yeah. compared to traditional oils. Uh, that's not my observation. I understand that, but seeing that I've used that almost exclusively, the water solubles, I don't have that basis for comparison. It works 
for me. Yeah. Uh, and what I tell my students, whether it's traditional oils, painting landscapes in acrylic outdoors, oh my, watercolors, pastels, find what works for you, what you like to work with. You can use all of it, but if you're going to focus on one, just find what fits your living situation, your personality, uh, and how you respond to the medium. For me, it's Holbein water mixable oils. Mm -hmm. Will I change next year and become a traditional oilist? I don't think so, but maybe, you know, I'm open to it. Well, I know very, I know some very high-end painters that use the water. Um, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Dennis Perrin up in Portsmouth, he's got a huge following and he's, he's the one who I, I didn't realize. I was looking at his, his work one day and he happened to mention it and I couldn't believe the, Oops. the luster and how beautiful it was. Um, so I do, I've been exploring and I use them, I'm trying to use them when I go out you know, cause it's just easy yeah. to clean up and everything. But yeah, I gotta, I've gotta make that investment and jump. So, okay, so um, where were we? We were back when you were being inspired by Walt. Right. And did that, right. and then so you were using these in your home. Well, yeah, you know, I switched, you know, to uh, water mixable oils and I wasn't painting very often. Yeah. I would take a workshop and come home with 12 paintings. You know how that feels. Yeah. You're so excited. You put yeah. them up on the mantle. You can't <laughs> wait for your husband or wife to see them. You know, you think they're beautiful, yes. you know, and they come in and they look at it and they're silent for about 20 seconds and you know, you're in trouble, you know, and they say, what's that? And you say, that's tree. That's a tree. Oh yeah. I can see that. You know, oh, boy. so. Yeah, so those, you know, those beginning workshops, you know, when you painted that lollipop tree, you know, you tried so hard to make a tree look like a tree, that lollipop tree, birds used to fly into it, knock themselves out, fall to the ground, you know, <laughs> we've come a long way since then. Uh, so I would paint in, infrequently. I didn't have the passion for painting, and I only had the setup on a dining room table. And yeah. then one Christmas, Kathy bought me a how to paint book. Can you imagine, you know, how to paint books? you know, how to paint a cow or something. Uh, but it was a, The Painterly Approach by Bob Rom. Okay. And it was a pretty good book. Yeah. So Christmas morning, I'm going through this. And on one of the early pages, it shows studio setup. How do you set up a studio? And it showed the easel, computer monitor, palette, paints, couple of books, brushes. And I thought, I can do this. <laughs> and I said to Kathy and Brant, our son, I said, listen, I'm going to set up a studio up in the second room in the corner. You want to come help me? And they said, no, it's Christmas. <laughs> so I ran upstairs and I set up an easel next to the computer monitor to download images. Yeah. I had a palette and that was my little den. I set up books and brushes and made it look cute, hung some paintings up on the wall. That was me, a little sign that said Mystic River. I was thrilled. Now, love it. The suggestion I would give to any part-time painters and beginning painters, find a space for yourself. Mm -hmm. Find a little area in the house, as you know. Once that happens, you can leave that wet painting on the easel and go off and do other things and come back to it later. You don't have to put it away. You don't have to put your paints away. You don't have to put your brushes away. It's all there waiting for you. That's your space. That made a tremendous difference. That's when I transitioned from a part-time painter right. to more of a passionate painter. Mm -hmm. I would paint maybe once a month and then not paint. 
-hmm. And all of a sudden when the passion happened, and I think it happened, I went to the Bahamas in 2008 in a Walt Bottman workshop. I went to a small island that was uh, practically wiped out in the last hurricane uh, mm -hmm. in September, Dorian. Uh, but we went for about seven years. I taught some workshops there myself. So the first 10-day intensive workshop on the island with Walt Bottman was incredible, where wow. you paint every day. When you get up in the morning, yeah. and I would get up on the hill waiting for the sun to come up, yeah. and you can't see the colors on your palette, so you can't mm -hmm. squeeze them out yet. It's still dark. And then the sun comes up a little bit, you squeeze your paint out really quickly, and you get that. So that started to fuel my passion. That, along with having a studio space, instead of painting once a month, I realized I was painting every day. And now when I didn't... Think, why do you think it had never occurred to you before to carve out a little space? Now, that's a difficult question to yeah. ask. No, it sort I, of makes me feel same, kind of... I had the same experience. It wasn't for lack of space. It was just for it not occurring to me that I should have one. Yeah, maybe I wasn't worthy. I just, yeah, I, I just didn't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the passion wasn't there, but it probably helped you transition from, I'm going to be a serious artist and no more lollipop trees in, into being a full-time painter. Yes, yeah, it does. So the passion, Walt fueled that passion. I saw that, uh, wow. you know, I, I could put some paint to, to uh, in a, a palette. And, you know, getting back to those lollipop trees that we all did, Edgar Descartes said something that resonates with me all the time. He said, painting's real easy if you don't know how. Yeah. It's very, very difficult when you do. <laughs> so when we start off and we're painting that lollipop tree, we are happy. We're, not we're not concerned about values. Composition, right. what is that? Color, warm and cool colors. We're trying to make that tree look like a tree. That's how, you know, so, Laura, when you took your first workshop and you came home with those paintings, yeah, and you were so you were smiling like you are now because you remember, they were wonderful, you know, and you, you you couldn't wait to do another one. Now that we know a little bit about painting, it's not any easier than it was back then, and we can make nice trees, right? You know, right. I feel like the more I learn, the less I am able to even pick up the brush. <laughs> Absolutely. I have yeah. those days of just yeah. fear. Yeah, that kind of fraud. Am I a fraud, you know? Uh, there are times I wake up and I think, I have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing. Uh, I think I'm a pretty good painter. And then we have those areas, those other times when we say, I have no idea what I'm doing. What am I going to paint next? You know, there's so many people that know so much more. There's so many excellent painters everywhere. That self-doubt, yeah. that, that settles in a lot. And, yeah. and that's why sometimes we cut off our ears, you know, and we wrap them and send them to our girlfriend or something. But um, there's always that humbling experience that we're happy with what we're doing. Mm. Are we satisfied? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. If I could have showed you when you took your first workshop, when was your first workshop? Plain air workshop. Oh, plain air? Five years ago. Like five, five years ago. Last month, yeah. Mm -hmm. If I could show you five years ago your paintings now mm -hmm. and say, how would you like to be able to paint like this? You'd say, oh, I would love to paint like that. 
you know, I would be so happy. Now you're painting like that. You're happy, but you're not satisfied. Right. Because your next painting is going to be your best painting. Right. I hope, I hope too. You know, we haven't, we haven't done our best painting yet. So uh, that Edgar Degas saying sticks with me all the time. You yeah. know, I thought it would be easier at this point. And I shared that with a musician, an accomplished musician. And he felt exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And he's a fabulous jazz musician. Right. But he's humbled by uh, the challenges ahead. Yeah. You know, to improve. And, and it's so important. I, I do meet so many very, very accomplished artists who continue their studies. They, they're continually always exploring new things and taking a workshop from someone else, which I always find so, you know, so interesting. Like, okay, yes, keep going. You've got to keep going and keep learning. And We tend to shut down, I think, with taking workshops. Uh, they cost yeah. a few dollars. That's okay. It takes some time. But as I alluded to before, Walt Botman gave you your money's worth. He was a fabulous teacher. I, I can't say enough about him. Uh, in terms of his passion for teaching. Mm. Not all teachers are like that. They're very accomplished artists. But I sensed on a couple of occasions, they're more interested in the paycheck they were getting than they were spending time with me at my easel, you know, giving me thoughtful comments. So I got a little turned off about taking workshops because you commit yourself time and money-wise. And then after a day, you kind of realize, eh, Maybe this isn't for me, you know, uh, but I know there are a lot of good, good teachers out there. I see them online, you know, so, but the person who combines uh, art history expertise, mm-hmm. painting accomplishments and passion for teaching, that's a trifecta that's really important. Very. Yeah, I agree. So as a teacher yourself, what were your strengths and what did you always try to uh, well, both you said you've taught some workshops outside of high school teaching as well. I taught quite a bit of quite a bit of workshops as time evolved through Northeastern University. They oh, were oh, right. graduate level classes and workshops in the Bahamas and Cape Cod. It's a, when the opportunity presented itself. It's slowing down now, obviously. So, what uh, did you feel like um, was? Listen, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, I was an underdog as a kid, blue collar kid. So I always related to underdogs. Mm-hmm. When you took your workshop, may have been 12 participants, and you worked your darndest on that painting to make that tree look like a tree. And then at noontime, you lined all your paintings up for the critique, and you compared your painting, a beginner's painting, to that person's painting over there that was fabulous. Right. And you thought to yourself, it's like hanging your, la- your, your underwear in a laundry in the backyard for the neighborhood to see. You're fully exposed. Right. There's no hiding. I found the best teachers, and one at Rhode Island School of Design when I took an illustration class. I never forgot. My illustration wasn't very good, and there were some very accomplished. Yet she had something positive to say about everyone's effort. And I realized that once Laura puts brush to canvas and you fall in love with that painting with the first stroke, and I do too, whether you're a beginner or you're very experienced, that's the very best that you can do at that time. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember that as a teacher. You know, you have to 
look at it and say, you know, Laura, that stroke right there is the most wonderful painting stroke, not only because of the color you place there, but the thickness of the paint, its position, and it's probably a happy accident. You had no idea what you were doing. <laughs> True. But you want to carry that person on to the next painting. Yes. You want to plant that seed of enthusiasm right. to say, you can do this. You know, the composition law works. It was probably by mistake. Yeah. But let me tell you why it works. Right. So then when you do your second painting, you got to think about composition. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, your first painting, by the way, just like my first painting, it had no sunlight. We talked about sunlight earlier. We love sunlight. We didn't know how to paint sunlight. Yeah. Paint sunlight, you right. know, and you were out on a sunny day and the tree looks like it was painted in the dark. <laughs> and then we learned to paint light. You know, but you need that instructor. And I always look, look, I was thinking recently, one of my students on social media uh, commented that she was a terrible artist. And when she put her homework assignment up that she did 30 seconds before she walked in the room, uh, you know, I had to find something positive to say about it, yeah. uh, which I did because I didn't know if that was an hour's effort she put in. Right. Or 30 seconds in the hallway when someone told her, hey, you have a homework assignment. But you have to search for something. You know, I like the way you hung that paper vertical instead of horizontal, you know, something. So as a teacher, yeah. my goal is to give you as much attention as the person next to you and the person over there. Mm -hmm. Everyone deserves to have me as a teacher at their easel as much as possible to catch you when you're going to fall to answer those questions, to encourage you. Not the workshop I took on a couple of occasions where I went out to paint and I didn't see the instructor until critique time later on. Yeah. You know, that doesn't work. I walk around constantly, constantly, easel to easel, too much. They might get sick of me, but I want to be there for when they feel like they're losing it. You know the feeling. You've heard it from people. I hate this. This isn't working. Okay, now wait a minute. Let's back up. Right. There's a viewing distance for every painting. Some of my paintings have to stand about a mile away, all right, for it to work. That's but you have to you have to get away from your painting, as you know. Yeah. Bring it home, put it on the mantle, turn away from it. Don't look at it for a while. About 20 feet away, slowly turn and look at it and think, aha, there's something there. But when you fall in love with that canvas from close up with every brushstroke, you enter into that emotional relationship. You fall in love. It's like getting married. Every stroke means so much. Yes. You're so close to it that you can't see. Right. You know, you can't see objectively anymore. So you got to get away, step back and say, okay. So that's what I would do with students. Say, okay, listen, we're going to walk away. We're not going to look at it. Then we're going to turn slowly and inevitably there's something of value on that canvas and that gives them the energy to go back into it instead of i'm going to wipe it away you know mm -hmm. i hate this so, so you're telling them to take the break and when they return to view the painting rather than look for where they went wrong look for where they went right oh there's something right in the whole thing when i what i'm saying is if i'm as close to my palette as i am to this screen right here painting you know, really up close. Yeah. Uh, it's not working. To this day, when I'm painting at this easel behind me and I'm close, it's not working. I walk out in the living room. I don't look at it. I say, Kathy, I'm done. I'm only joking. 
and she'll say something like, hey, I like that. Then I realize there's something there. I put it on the floor, sit on my, re my recliner, because old guys like recliners, and I sneak up on it. I look at the <laughs> corner of my eye, and it's like, oh, okay, there's some hope there. <laughs> Take a break for about 45 minutes, go back to the easel, and attack it some more. So I always have, you know, I paint for about 45 minutes and I get away from it. Yeah. Put it somewhere. Don't look at it. Have a drink, whatever the case may be. Even if it's scotch in the morning, I'm only kidding. But just get away from it for a while. Sneak up on it and say, oh, okay. All right. That's starting to work. And then go back into it. Yeah. I can so only even, even outdoors with, with students. Yeah. You have to look at it from a different perspective, with different eyes. Right. And which brings me to the point, the next day, that painting is even going to look more different to you, you know? Very true. Very I got to say, I got to say, I just thought of a, a, an adult student. I mostly had women, women teachers, but this particular science teacher was a male and he was a friend, friend of mine. Uh, he graduated MIT. He was very bright and he was a beginner painter. MIT. One day after painting, uh, he got up in the morning and said, you know, I figured it out. I thought about, yeah, I thought about it last night. He figured out how to paint. He thought about it last night, that MIT analyzation quality, figured it all out. And I thought to myself, oh no, this guy has got it. He's gonna be really good. <laughs> this is gonna be humbling for me. Right. That next painting he did, it was terrible. And he admitted, <laughs> you know how we think about it nighttime after a long day of painting at a workshop? Yeah. Okay, tomorrow, I'm enthusiastic, and you know, it doesn't always work out that way. And each morning that we work, each morning we go to that easel, we're different from the previous day. We feel different. Yeah. We think differently, you know. We have expectations, and sometimes they just don't work out. But his enthusiasm was awesome. I'll never forget George for that. It was beautiful. <laughs> well, did he keep going after that but next bad one? <clears throat> you no, know, George, his, he was so thoughtful in his comments about everyone's painting. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have 12 to 20 people in a workshop, not everyone will speak up during a critique. You know, George always did. Yeah. And as we went from painting to painting, he had something positive to say about every painting. Yeah. And then we would come into Boston because I'm, I have a studio at the Soa Arts District. <clears throat> and he would come in and visit. And he'd go up to my paintings. And sometimes he wouldn't say anything. His hand would go like this. And he'd look at a painting and go, with a big smile. That meant more to me. That silence is golden, as they say. And he must have been a fabulous middle school science teacher. And I heard that he was, you know, embraced by the students because he had that, that warmth about him. Yeah. So, um... What's been your greatest challenges in making the transition to be a professional full-time painter? Uh, I, I didn't have as many challenges as perhaps others because when I retired, I had a retirement income. So I didn't have to worry about painting and selling in order to put food on the table and pay the mortgage. So that makes it really easy. I mean, this is just, uh, I've got a lot of time. I've got to fill that time. I retired at age 57. Yeah. So I wanted to have 
something to sink my teeth into. My, my wife was traveling around the country and, you know, flying to Washington, D.C. and back every day. I mean, she had a real job. Uh, so I couldn't just sit in the cul-de-sac uh, just, you know, one, once my son disappeared, you know, cutting the grass and raking the mulch all the time. That, that was good for a while. So uh, I had to sink my teeth into something. Mm. And this has become... Uh, more than I have ever expected or, or planned my whole life. Laura, as you know, when you go to bed at nighttime sometimes, you have a painting on your easel. Oh, yeah. Are you going to go paint in the morning? Right. And you can't wait to get up to go to that easel. Sometimes if I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, I go to the easel and paint. It kicks in the adrenaline. Wow. Sometimes, and I go to bed fairly early, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, whatever the case may be. Sometimes I think, you know, I'd like to go in the studio and paint and, and just paint well into the night. I know it's better that I don't do that at my age. So I go to bed and I wake up early. And the enthusiasm that painting and teaching has brought me, you can't put a value on it. There is no pill that is sold that will give you that same high. You know this, you know? You know how excited you are when you went home with those 12 paintings from those workshops you participated. You, you, you felt fantastic, you were tired, you had too many bug bites, you know, you smelled like off bug spray, you know, you had sunburn on the back of your neck, you know, your hat was okay, your nose was sunburnt and your hands, uh, and it was hot and it was miserable. But it was the best experience. Yeah. You know, I remember going to snow camp one time. I oh, forget wow. his name. Snow camp up north. Stapleton and County. I was painting at my, yeah, yeah, uh, fabulous uh, painter. Yeah. I was standing on my easel. And the snowflakes were coming down. <laughs> Every plain air experience, as you know, is etched into our hard drive. It was so wonderful to see snowflakes coming down onto the snow scene that I was painting. I painted when it was like 105 degrees out in Western Massachusetts in the, in the summertime, where we're all trying to find that shade of tree to paint, you know? Uh, down the Cape, we didn't have shade when we were in Orleans uh, at the Northeastern class together. There were no trees around. We had bugs, horseflies, no seams, mosquitoes. You know, we were hot, sweaty. It was the most wonderful experience. <laughs> yeah. And every plein air experience is memorable. What's your funniest story? Pardon? What is your funniest uh, plein air story? Uh, it was embarrassing. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, in, in 2005, when I decided I was going to be an artist when I grew up a painter, I contacted an old friend by the name of Bill McLean. He lives in uh, Warren, Rhode Island. When I first met Bill, he worked normal jobs and he was trying to teach himself painting. And his paintings were terrible, just like ours. And he stuck with it over the years and he made it on Martha's Vineyard. And I say made it because he had shows and galleries. Yeah. So a mutual friend said, you should go connect with Bill McLean, which I did. Bill was having a show in the Eisenhower Gallery. I was like, oh my goodness, wow. So I went out, I hadn't seen Bill for years and years, walked in, all his paintings, and a lot of deep-pocketed people, I might add, back in that time. 
Yeah. I walked up to Bill and I said, where'd you get these frames? These frames are great. So he, he, I was impressed. I didn't know how to get frames back then, you know, so pictureframe.com. So anyway, uh, he started me on the journey. So I was out there, he invited me to come to Martha's Vineyard to paint with he and Alan Whiting, a very well-known painter who's been on that island for generations, live on the farm. He lives on a farm, working farm. He's a fabulous painter. So we're setting up, they painted every day, every day. Like he said, he said to me, Ani, if there's something you'd rather do than painting, then you shouldn't paint. At the time I was a golfer, you know, I would go golf and I felt guilty if there's something I'd rather do, but it makes sense now because I'd rather paint. Yeah. So we set up on a breakwater, my friend Easel, two experienced painters, and I have like a paper palette, you know, and I decided I wanted to walk a little down onto the beach. So I picked up my French easel and started walking and I caught a leg on a rock. Easel went, <laughs> I went over, totally embarrassing, a few scrapes, the French easel lived. I'll never forget that. Do not move your French easel <laughs> when it's all set up, you know, be very careful. Uh, things like that, you know, another memorable experience. I went to paint in Chelsea where we were living. It's an urban setting and I was going to paint some brick buildings. I love brick and the sunlight off the brick. So I set up in a neighborhood to do that. Got everything all set up. Yeah. Laura, I forgot my white paint. Oh. <laughs> wow. We use copious amounts of white paint. It's the biggest area of our palette, the white paint. So I went with yellow ochre. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. Try that. It's pretty good. So we we remember all those things. But toppling over with that French easel, oh, that's right up there. That is, yeah. And you've had easels fall, correct? Oh, gosh, yeah, those French things. Uh, yeah. I can never you don't, you don't You don't do the wing nut tight enough? Go on. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. It is. It's awful. So, um, all right, let's go on to what's what uh, defines success for you as an artist sitting here yeah talking to you Give about doing this <laughs> my wife said to me this morning you're going to be a star i said oh please <laughs> <You know? laughs> i've arrived ever since i was a little boy laura i wanted to do this no <laughs> you know i don't consider myself a success as a painter you know i'm a struggling artist like a lot of people yeah. you know i get lucky on the canvas sometimes yeah we all do uh, there are so many accomplished painters, you know, you've met a lot of them uh, and you've studied with a lot of them. I'm doing okay. Success to me is at this stage in my life, when others are getting wide at the beam, wearing white socks and white belts and moving to Miami Beach and waiting for the ambulance to pull up. Uh, and they don't have anything else that gives them passion in life. Yeah. At their work was everything, and now retirement is sort of nothing. Yeah. I'm, last count, I'm 73 years old. To feel this passion and excitement about anything at 73 years old is not a common occurrence to all 73-year-old people. Mm -hmm. So the success part is somehow this journey that that junior high excuse me, junior college professor sent me on by saying, have you ever drawn before? Yeah. It just keeps getting better, you know? Yeah. Uh, it keeps getting more. Now, I did have a period 
last month for a month when I didn't paint. It's the first time in about a dozen years that I shut down for that long. Mm -hmm. And I think the impact of what's going on in society, both politically, yeah. uh, the pandemic, and, and we all have uh, family issues, that brought me to a level that I didn't feel like painting. Yeah. Uh, and then starting last week, I've done three paintings, so the passion is back. But that was the longest shutdown period. We all are gonna have that. You know, we artists all go through that period of what am I doing? Yeah. You know, uh, what am I going to do next? We question ourselves. Mm -hmm. you know, am I worthy? You know. Right. Can you talk a little bit about your process? I know you do a lot of plein air work. Are those considered studies or do they become a finished painting? It's, it's always an exercise, you know, whether you're a runner or, or a biker, uh, yoga, we're always warming up. And for me, plein air is a warm up. I don't do it as often as perhaps I should. I have fallen in love with the comforts of home and my studio with the refrigerator over there, the dog over there, everything I need, yes. you know. Uh, I go out a lot wherever I go. I'm taking photographs and I'm looking for that dance of light, that play of light, that subject matter that I can do something with. I wouldn't be able to paint as successfully here if I could say it's successful without the plain air experience because it trains me to make quick decisions. Okay. I can only paint outside for about 45 minutes, as you know, because the light's gonna change. I mean, we stretch it to an hour and a half, and then it becomes three paintings. One painting becomes three in the same canvas as the shadow changes, you know? As the light comes up at sunrise and everything, all that color disappears. Uh, but those experiences are so invaluable to train our eye and to move quickly. So what I try to do is bring that same spontaneous feel to the indoor studio mm -hmm. that I get outdoors, plain air painting. Okay. And uh, like I said, I spend a lot of time taking photographs. Uh, wherever we travel, wherever I go, including on a bike ride this morning, I'm looking for that subject that screams, paint me. Mm -hmm. This painting right here, Mm -hmm. When I saw that sunrise on my bike ride in Boston, I couldn't wait to get home and look at that. It screamed, paint me. And it was going to be a big painting. And it is a big painting. Yeah. And this, this right here, when I saw the sunlight trickling into this composition all through here, it screamed, paint me. Now, there was a little lady in here. And I was going to put that soul figure and sort of make a statement about where we're at with isolation now. Mm -hmm. and, and Kathy said, you know, I don't think you should put it in. And I saw what she was talking about. This is all about the urban warfare, you know, the, the urban setting that uh, I find attractive. And yet I'm in a gallery in Cape Cod and I love to do Cape Cod paintings, whether it's wave paintings. I don't know if you have a oh. scene, you know, I really like that. When I get fatigued from doing that, I switch to the urban. So recently I've, I've rediscovered, I've, I did a series of city paintings several years ago. I decided to revisit that uh, and it's brought the passion back at a time when I needed the passion, you know, and yet I'll do something for the Cape, which is exciting. I'll go down there and I'll look at the ocean and, and paint some waves and that's thrilling. Then on the other hand, I'll do some non-representational abstract pieces. Oh. Now that doesn't come to me as easily as, you know, working in representational art. Yeah. Uh, that empty canvas, that, blank canvas, Laura, it can be paralyzing, as you know. <laughs> and with abstract, you have the total freedom 
to use any color, any brush, anywhere, any stroke, and you don't know where to start. Uh, but those challenges are refreshing. So when I get subject matter fatigue, I don't feel like making a tree look, look like a tree anymore. I don't feel like doing a sunrise or a wave. I'll go to total abstract on a square canvas in acrylic sitting here, and I'll start to throw some paint up there uh, with hopes that something is going to – there's no plan. There's no answer. It just sometimes evolves, and it's like, okay, I like that. And then when I tire of that, I go back to the joy of working from a representational photograph or outdoors on a canvas. So I can, I can bounce back and forth. One of my former students who's uh, an art director out in the West saw some of my posts, the abstract posts and the representational. He's been a follower, and he said, who are you? When he saw me do the abstract, it was an interesting question whether I was representational abstract, I felt a little guilty. <laughs> I sort of said to myself, yes, who are you? But you know, I realized I get joy from both of those. Yeah. Uh, you know, they can both sell. You get different responses from different people. And it's nice for me to switch up like that, you know? Yeah. So right now I'm on a representational kick. Next week I could do something abstract. Nice. And it seems like you work pretty large. Do most of your paintings? end up being you know again i'm gonna put this on you i think when we started plain air painting yeah. we had those nice little five inch by seven inch canvases yeah. then we went to six by nine nine by 12 seemed really big really? 11 by 14 oh my goodness they'd give you a list here's your supply list for the workshop you'd buy everything and use half of it right yeah yeah but a lot of them said bring some small medium and large canvases largest being it i don't want to paint outside with a 24 by 36 the wind is going to make that a sail and take it away you know mm -hmm. but i was very comfortable with 9 by 12 mm -hmm. 11 by 14 12 by 16 seemed large and there were instructors that would suggest you should get larger why don't you try larger mm -hmm. so now uh let's see i did one 24 by 30 uh, this is two foot by two foot. This is even larger. Uh, the one I just sold of the subway uh, was 24 by 30. Yeah. And I really like the large. I struggle with the small. The gallery at the Cape said, Ani, could you bring a couple of small down recently so you could put them next to the larger one? So I did a couple of nine by 12s. I hated it. <laughs> it was so small, you know? I mean, the paintings were okay. They were cute, but... I've adjusted to painting large and I like to paint large, but I also know if you want to sell artwork, everyone has a small wall yeah. and everyone has a budget. It may not be a great budget. So that painting that sold yesterday down the Cape was 12 inches by 12 inches at gallery 31 in Orleans. And that price was five, I want to say $550. Mm -hmm. uh, not everyone wants to pay $4,000 for a wave that happens to be 36 by 48 inches, you know? So I try to mix it up a little bit, but I prefer, I really like two foot by two foot and I like three foot by three foot even more. Square format of the urban setting mm -hmm. as opposed to diagonal. This, this, this ship here, uh, it called for a vertical format you can see the lovely water there. It called for a, a vertical format. That was quite large. Yeah, gorgeous. Uh, do you paint large or small? I have, I'm working on the largest painting I've ever done, and it's two feet by four feet right now. 
I've yeah. done two by th a few two two by threes were my largest before that. Yeah, yeah, those um, are great sizes. What do you prefer? I don't. I don't know yet. A pro well, I guess I like large. I do like large. My space doesn't allow for too much right now, but uh, yeah. we're hoping yeah. to change that yeah. up soon. Yes. But yeah. so, how did you get into galleries? What did did you go present your work to people or? No, I didn't, and. Uh, you know, that's a very difficult and humbling experience for a lot of us. Uh, I, I had a friend on the Cape who contacted me about 10 years ago. We were heading to Washington, D.C. I remember the day and he said, look, there's a co-op gallery, Gallery 31 in Orleans, and looking for artists. And I was like, you know, that was a moment of I've arrived, you know. Yeah. You know, I had shows at the local library, the local, yeah. we've all done those, yeah. you know, where, where we have sympathy sales, I call them. <laughs> Where coworkers and family buy your paintings, you know. Oh, no, see, I find that quite different. I find it a real honor when people <laughs> know me will actually put down money. I do. I really yeah, do. Call, call them later on. They'll tell you they felt sorry for you. I'm only kidding. <laughs> I'll ask them where the painting is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's in a barn. It's around here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> he mentioned that. So as soon as I got back from Washington D.C., I went down there for an interview. There were ten artists. We all were equal partners. We worked the gallery. Yeah. Uh, I stayed there for about a year. It was an interesting experience to say the least. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing more exciting, as you know, than galleries sitting in February when you get like two people coming in. You know, It's a very nothing long day. Nothing more exciting than when you get one and they buy. <laughs> <laughs> that happens <Yeah>. too. <laughs> that's, if, if you get one and they buy, that's great. <clears throat> so I left that gallery, but since then, uh, Sherry Rhino was a dear friend. She was an artist in that gallery. She owns Gallery 31 now. So she bought the gallery and it became her gallery. And we kept this friendship going. And she invites me back each year uh, to be either a visiting artist or do a presentation. And when she saw my wave paintings in February, March, April that I was doing in studio, uh, she latched onto that and, and wanted me to show them. So it's a good relationship. It's the only gallery. Well, I've, I've associated with some other galleries, small galleries in Chelsea, Mass, the Pearl Street Gallery and things like that. Uh, gallery 31 is the first legitimate gallery that I've been involved in. But the SOA, the studio in Boston, in the SOA Arts District, have you ever visited SOA Arts District? You know, I have not, to my shame, and I've been in Boston. Well, you're, you're not going to be visiting anytime soon. Either, I, know. Uh, I know. With the situation. But... We opened the studio, there are 80 artists in the building, and yeah. there are galleries on the first floor that have left Newbury Street. It's, it's the hub of the art world in Boston. Yeah. And we opened the studios for first Friday, the first Friday of each month, and for open studios two weekends a year, and on Sundays because there's a fabulous market outside that brings thousands of people into the area, and they trickle in on Sundays. Now that's changed since the pandemic. Yeah. So on a first Friday, we can have in our studio anywhere between 100, which is a slow night in March when it's cold out, to 250 people mm. come in on a first Friday. Wow. You know? Now, you can have 250 people and not sell anything, right. whereas you had one person come in and you sold a painting. <clears throat> but it's so exciting to interact with people, yeah. to be a part of that family in the building of other artists that are very supportive. Mm. We all love to sell. And there's a chance that you're going to sell with 250 people as opposed to none 
gallery sitting down on the cake, you know, yeah. it's, it's really great. And I never, ever tire of that one person who will come in on a first Friday, like George, look at the paintings, do this, smile and go, I just love your paintings. I never tire of that. I can hear that every day of my life. <clears throat> That's one out of the 250 people who come in. So, and then when we have open studios, which run Saturday and Sunday, probably in May and October, for that weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I'll have 500 people come into our studio wow. and sell, we'll sell six or seven paintings. Mm -hmm. Now, before the 2008 financial collapse, mm -hmm. artists used to tell me that they'd pay their rent for a year yeah. on one first Friday. Yeah. I mean, the, the art world has changed. Yeah, it has. <clears throat> and now with the pandemic, I went to first Friday last week and I had three people. I left at 7.30, I left early. Maybe five others were gonna come in. I've gone in on last Sunday, I had maybe a half dozen and I sold a painting to, to two gentlemen that I knew. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're all adjusting and the art world is taking a large hit. Uh, galleries are taking a large hit. I know Gallery 31 in the Cape, we're trying to get people to schedule a visit. We'll give you an hour of your, of, to yourself. We'll lock the door. Laura, you can come in and you'll feel safe. We'll have a mask on and you can spend your hour there. So we're trying to reach out and cater to the public now because we're all still hesitant to go to a restaurant, yeah. go to a retail shop. You know, we're wearing the same clothes that we had six months ago because we haven't gone clothes shopping, you know? Yeah. Uh, so times have changed. Will Soa bounce back in the gallery? Will bounce back? I may be a little bit older, I think, when, when that happens. But we're going to try to ride this out and do what we can. You know, one of your questions deals with promoting in galleries. Mm -hmm. I've been on social media for 10 years. I've, I've sold quite a few paintings through Facebook. Oh, nice. Uh, I look at it as a business opportunity. I usually don't post what I have for breakfast. Uh, I don't post uh, too many pictures of the dog. Uh, <laughs> but paintings I do post. Yeah. And I've been fortunate that uh, they have sold. And Instagram... You know, when I, when I posted last week, uh, that trolley, that orange trolley out of Boston, yeah. someone I know who grew up taking those trolleys for like 10 cents came in Sunday and bought it. Right. He said, I want to come in and I want to buy that. So I look at it uh, today. Galleries are nice. I think social media is just as, if not more important. Mm -hmm. We have a generation like my son's generation and younger, he's 38, who grew up with technology. If they want to buy a 36 by 48 inch painting for over the couch of a wave, they'll Google it. They'll have it delivered to them tomorrow. Right. They don't have to go into galleries. You know, they don't have to shop like that anymore. Mm -hmm. The people of my generation, they don't have wall space. Their primary home, their secondary home the walls are covered with art. So at 70 some years old, they're probably not gonna buy anymore. Mm -hmm. So we have to find ways to touch base with the world and that is Instagram, Facebook, and promoting our work from that point of view. It has worked for me. And I know some other, Lori McNee from Sun Valley, Idaho. Lori McNee. Check her out. She has the whole package, the look, the talent, 
the expertise. <clears throat> she had one of the largest Instagram followings several years ago, worldwide. Uh, she's amazing and lives on a mountain that you could get up and paint and make masterpieces all the time. Just have Lori McNeigh, check her out. She's an inspiration. So she uses technology to promote uh, her stuff really well. Now, do you do a newsletter at all, or do you keep a client base that you keep in contact with in any way? No, SOA has been so good that I knew every first Friday we're going to have 250 people in. Every Sunday from May through October, I knew we were going to have between 50 and 100 people come in the studio. So I got a little lazy with email uh, lists and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I rely on social media a little more. You know, Lori is an exception. Lori can do it all. Yeah. Uh, you have some artists, as you've met, that are fabulous painters but not great self-promoters, yes. okay? And I totally understand that. Uh, they're not comfortable with social media. They're not comfortable you know, speaking in front of crowds, or, you know, uh, and that's, their thing is painting. That's, that's fabulous. Uh, I have somewhat of a little bit of, of each, but it takes time, as you know, to do all that. I don't know where you find the time to do this, you know, with your painting and stuff, because <laughs> painting can be time consuming. You know, yeah, you well, want to paint. Yeah, yeah. And what you're doing here is fabulous, interviewing people. I mean, how did you come up with that? I mean, that's, that's great. And I read a little of your bio where, you know, you got into painting and you had a family and all that stuff. I mean, that's a great story, but it all takes time, yeah. you know? Yeah, it so. does. But it's well worth, it's time well spent for me. Yeah, well, social media is so easy. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, it's right there. You can have that picture. I'll put that painting up probably later on today. Right. And, you know, you look for comments and someone just may say, hey, you know, what size is that? Yeah. And then they show interest and they say, what's the price? And you message them the price. Then you never hear from them again. But anyway, sometimes yeah. you do. Yeah. Yeah, true. As long as I don't have a large inventory, I'm happy. Yeah. And I don't have a large inventory. Yeah. I like to move things. Right. I know some dear friends, and you do too, who have paintings from 20 years ago. Uh, they have a very large inventory. Uh, when my time comes, my son will only have to find a home for about 25 paintings. The others will be owned by others. I love it. But I, I would strongly encourage, especially in this day and age, if you're going to sell, you know, keep that email, keep that contact, and send them a message once a month. Hi, we're having open studios. We're having a 20% discount uh, for return customers. Right. Uh, and I'll do that on occasion. I'll, I'll have sales. Uh, I don't leave the house for a 10% sale on anything. I don't leave the house for maybe a 20% sale. Mm -hmm. But if someone's offering a 30% sale, even a 50% sale, because they try to clean, I want to see what's going on. So mm -hmm. there are times when I'll clear the inventory out by having a whopper of a sale and people respond to that. Oh, nice. Some artists won't diminish their work by, by selling at a discount. I understand that. That's fine. Again, it goes back to me. I don't want an inventory. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't want stacks of paintings <laughs> in this condo. I love it. So what uh, painter through history has influenced you the most? And who would you spend the day with if you could? Someone who's passed. I'm serious. I would spend the day with you. <laughs> and our goal should be when this pandemic is over. Yeah. At some point, I'll drive up to New mm -hmm. Hampshire. 
I know what I know how to get there. And we'll go out and paint. We'll set up, you know, maybe some afternoon, evening and catch catch that light. Uh, because of your, your passion and your interest, you know, in reading about you, uh, that's someone you want to paint next to. Yeah. Walt Bottman, I would love to spend a day with Walt Bottman again. Yeah. Uh, I can't say enough about him as a painter and an instructor. If you yeah. write down Walter Bottman, yeah. uh, you'll see uh, he is charismatic yeah. and his students love him. He will make you feel like you're the only one in the room. He'll make you feel special. Nice. He's seductive. Uh, and then Bill McLean out of Warren, Rhode Island. Yeah. He, he has a heart and he gives. You love to come across an artist who loves to share and loves to give. That's not universally embraced. But we should want to share and help others. Right. As teachers, we want to give as much to our students as possible to help them along on their journey. Bill McLean. To spend a day with him would be uplifting because he has nothing but positive things to say and he loves painting and he's a kind soul. So you three are on my list for the future when the pandemic is over. I'm going to give you a call and say, hey, I'm coming up to New Hampshire. We're going to we'll, we'll get a we'll get a better breakfast up there, Kathy and I. And, you know, we'll bring up paints for a couple of days and we'll get out there and we'll just swap bugs and, and have a good time. I love it. I love it. So um, before I let you go, tell us again what galleries you're in and then your Instagram account name so we can follow it. Yeah, Instagram is Ani Casavant. Uh, so you can find that. Same thing on Facebook. Uh, Gallery 31 in Orleans is a little gem. Uh, it's owned by Sherry Rhino. And she works it. She doesn't hire anyone else to work it. It's her passion. She's there nearly every day. She does all the promoting. It's been selected the best of Cape Cod for a number of years in a row. She has a, an interesting stable of artists. Uh, some really, Jeannie Rosier Smith, who is a master pastelist uh, and does incredible waves. Tony Elaine, I'm gonna scratch my eye, is from Great Britain. His, his pastels border on abstract. Tony Elaine. They are fabulous. I mean, just, you know, that old word breathtaking. I want to be like him when I grow up, you know, just unbelievable. And another one who slips my mind right now, a pastelist, uh, it, it'll come to me later on, but she has interesting artists. It's out of the way in the booth, in the back, in the corner, in the dock, in Orleans. But if you find gallery 31, uh, I think you'll really enjoy, uh, you know, looking at the, the variety of art that's there nice. and meeting Sherry. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to that painting day. And this is just- We're going to do it. So lovely to, do get it. to know you. Really great. It, it may be a year from now, maybe next spring, but we're going to do it. Believe me, I'm like an elephant with things like that. I won't forget. So, you know, <laughs> Kathy and I, and we had, we had a summer place in, well, we've had vacation retreats in Ashland, New Hampshire, near Lake, uh, uh, near the Green Mountain Country Club. We had that last year. We sold it, and we had one a year before up there. So we're very familiar and fond of New Hampshire and the landscape up there. Love the New Hampshire and Maine seacoast to paint mm. on. So we'll get together. We'll be in touch. We'll follow each other and mm. continued success. I look forward to seeing more of your paintings. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate and uh, congratulations on your success story and your journey. Thanks. I appreciate that very much. 
and we're all just going forward as best we can right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have to find ways to bring smiles to our faces right. and we have that in our painting. So, uh, you know, that and getting out and riding the, uh, riding a bike, like I tell people, these are difficult times. So we have to find something that brings us happiness. And there's always that time at the easel that does that. And I strongly encourage, you know, I've read recently people struggling with emotional issues uh, and they suggest, well, take a painting class. Well, it's difficult to do nowadays, but it's interesting that people are turning to the arts more now because they want to, they want to bring happiness and joy and try something different, you know? So we have the opportunity and you share, sharing your gift with an audience. Uh, so it's fabulous in that regard. So one other thing, and I'll close. I've learned the secret to successful painting. Not that I'm a success, but I tell my students this. And I tell them I'm going to share it with them and they can't share it with anyone else. This is the key to successful painting, and you know it. Okay. Paint. Yeah. <laughs> Just paint. Yes. You'll get better and better. There's no secret guide to being a fabulous painter. You just have to paint. Mm -hmm. Just put canvas. Your next painting will be better than a previous painting. I remember when we all first started, we'd come home with those 12 paintings for the workshop. Yeah. We'd throw away 10 of them, and we'd have two that were pretty good. Yeah. But now... Most of your paintings, 10 will be really good from those 12. So we get better as time goes on. You just have to keep pushing. Thank you so much for this. Yeah, we'll keep pushing that breast. We love your work. Thank you. We'll look forward to more great things on Instagram. Thank you very much. Thanks, honey. Bye-bye. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artistsofnewengland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. You got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.